They told me before we got here this morning they were doing something. So I've been sitting here terrified for 20 minutes. And fortunately, they did not use some of the video that I know you have access to. <laughs> for that, I am grateful. But uh, it's a privilege to be with you this morning. But before I get started, I need your help with something. And so, um, CJ, if you'll get us started here, I need your help with something. And that is, I need you to guess who this is. Tell me, any ideas? Lisa LaGeorge, you're right. All right, who's that? Greg Frazier. All right, who's that? Dave and Claire Blackwell. All right, all right, who's the little guy on the left? Bob Dixon, I heard it. Bob Dixon. All right. Any, any ideas? No, I won't show my own picture. This is Michael Kornoff. All right. All right, the next one. Kurt Hill. All right. There you go. Who's this? Pam and Paul Plew. <laughs> All right. Any guess? Jeff Jensen. Finally, my favorite little shot. Will Varner. You got it. All right, the reason I, I show you those is because when these folks were born, people took pictures, just like they did with you. And I think that if we dove into your parents' scrapbooks, photo albums, digital collections, we would find very interesting pictures of you. And that is because when a child is born, everyone's excited because that child holds a, a mystery of potential of what they're going to become when they grow up. None of these pictures on the screen did their parents have any idea that they would be ministering at the Master's College and that they would be impacting your lives here today. No one saw that coming, except God. And it reminds me of the most important lesson that my dad taught me. My dad was a pastor, grew up in northern New York. Uh, Lisa LaGeorge and I were talking before chapel and found out we lived about 60 miles from each other. And it's incredible to look back and say, what are the things my dad taught me? Well, one thing he taught me is that you don't pretend to be sick on Sunday night so you can stay home and watch TV. Because when he got home from church and preaching, he put his hand on top of the television and found it warm. And uh, had told me not to watch television while I was homesick. So I learned from him that he is sneakier than I am and can outwit me. Many lessons he taught me, but the most valuable one that I want to share with you this morning is that 
your life can make a difference for Christ. And I don't care who you are here today, whether you're a quiet freshman young man or young woman, or whether you're president of ASB, every one of you sitting in here today can be used by God in extraordinary ways. And in that light, if you would take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 1. And you're going to say, I don't think I've ever heard a message out of 1 Chronicles chapter 1. And that's because the first 10 chapters are pretty much all genealogies. And I remember as a junior high student when I was challenged to read through the Bible in one year. Guess what chapter stopped me? I never made it that year because of 1 Chronicles. Tried it a second year. Couldn't make it past 1 Chronicles. Because to me as a young man, I looked at this, I said, this is stupid. What are all these names? Who cares if Zilbad was the father of Ephal and Ephal fathered Obed? Who cares? Well, as I got older... I began to realize that each person listed in these chapters were selected by God to be there. Every word of Scripture is inspired. God has a purpose for every name that's in here. And so instead of just sliding through these first ten chapters of Chronicles, I began to slow down and start looking for what's here. And I was amazed that there are these little nuggets of of things that God would say about people. And he would just be rattling off a list of names, so-and-so is the son of so-and-so is the son of so-and-so. And by the way, he'd say something. And it would jump out at me, make me curious. Why did he say that? And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I'm going to pick 10 examples within these chapters of people that in the middle of the genealogies, God just stops and he says something about them. Some are negative, some are positive, but I have learned something from each one of them. Now, before we dive in, uh, just so you know the background of Chronicles, it is uh, considered one of the history books of the Old Testament. It was uh, originally, First and Second Chronicles were just one book called The Events of the Days. Um, later, the Vulgate named it the Chronicles of the Entire Sacred History. And it was written right at the close of the Babylonian captivity. They had, Israel had been taken captive um, from Israel, taken over to Babylon for 70 years, and they were now coming back. And as they were coming back to their country, it was very, very different from when they had left. The glory and splendor of the great times of David and Solomon were no longer. And as they came back into Israel, they had no king. The Persian emperor was their ruler. They had no security. You know the story of Nehemiah and how he had to come back and try to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. They had no temple until Zerubbabel came back and helped build a smaller version 
that when he finished his building project, uh, the older people cried because it had none of the glory, none of the gold or the jewels that the original temple had. And they had no wealth and they had no power. And so it was a very hard time. And it was during that time that the author of Chronicles, probably Esther, we don't know for sure, he wrote these books to bring hope. Because what he wanted to say is that God has a purpose for you. Your life can count because you have a spiritual heritage. And these, this author took them all the way back to Adam. And he showed them how from Adam, their family lines had continued to this very day. And every one of these individuals listed in the books of Chronicles has an important meaning. And I would suspect that if you read a book like this today, and it had your family name in here, and it had your father and your grandfather and your great-grandfather, I would imagine each of you would pull out your highlighter and mark those would be extraordinarily significant to you. Now, now why did God give us these genealogies? Let me just give you three possible reasons why they're here. One is that remind us that God works in the lives of real people. These are families just like the families you and I are in. They live, they have successes, they have failures, they die. And so I believe that God placed these names here to remind us that God works in individuals' lives. And that gives us hope because he's going to work in our lives as well. Secondly, I think that he gave us this because he wants to assure us that the history of Old Testament Israel was not a, a myth. It was not just folklore. If you read any non-believing individuals who want to write about the Bible, they call the Bible just folklore, just stories passed down from generation to generation. And, and these genealogies prove that that's not the case. These are real, real people. You know, myths have no genealogies. If you're going to read Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, you're not going to realize that Sleepy was the son of Lazy or that Dopey was the son of Moron. Um, they don't take you into any genealogies because it's just stories. But not so here. These are real people. And this is not folklore. This is history. But to me, probably the most important reason it's here is to connect the past to the present. To remind Israel, and in turn to remind us, is that God is at work in our lives. He has a job for each of us to do. He has a calling that he's placed on our lives. And he wants us to be obedient to his calling. Now, I have to admit, there's been a few times that I've stopped and I've said, what if there was a list today and my name was in one of these chapters? What would God say about me? That, frankly, is a scary thought to me. 
what would God say? Because he knows everything. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just, again, take you through 10 examples, short examples. Not going to go long today. But I wonder if you can learn from these 10 examples as I have learned. Because whereas 1 Chronicles 1 through 10 was my nemesis for many years, I just couldn't get myself through it. Now 1 Chronicles 1 through 10 are some of my most favorite chapters in the Old Testament. Let me start with chapter 1, verse 10. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. In our culture today, we have individuals in the United States that we look back and we consider great men, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. We have leaders in the military like Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, or Douglas MacArthur, or George Patton. We, we have human heroes that are great leaders at their time. Well, all it says here is that Nimrod was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. Back in Genesis 10, says this about Nimrod, Cush fathered Nimrod, he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Calneth in the land of Shinar. He founded a great kingdom. He was a leader. He was a warrior. He was a hunter. He obviously had physical abilities. He had leadership. And he was so successful at building the cities of Babel and later Nineveh that in Micah, it says that the land of Assyria was called the land of Nimrod. Now, what do we know about him? Nothing more. We do not know whether he was a godly man or an ungodly man. Tradition in the Jewish culture was that Nimrod was a pretty wicked guy. Very powerful, tyrant, used his power for selfish purposes, but we don't know. But all God says about him is that he was a mighty man, mighty hunter before the Lord. So what did I learn from this? I learned that everything we do is before the Lord in full view. There is nothing that we think, nothing that we say, nothing that we do that God's not watching. And everything we do in our life is before the Lord. And that's a hard concept. That as you grow and develop in your faith, that you realize every morning when you get up, Lord, this day is in your full view. That's what I learned from Nimrod. Jump down to verse 19. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Now, we know that Peleg was one of the sons of Noah through Shem. His name means division, which means that just at the time when the Tower of Babel and that whole situation was unfolding, that he was born, and his mom and dad cleverly named him with the name Division. But we know nothing more about him. God identifies him 
as living in the day when the earth was divided, but says nothing about him, good or bad. Do you realize that Peleg's name here is only historical marker? Now, I hope that I'm not being unfair to Peleg, because we know nothing more about him. But I would hope that at the end of my life, that God doesn't look on me as just a historical marker. That there would be something positive worth saying. And I would pray for you that as you live your life and as you come to the close of your life, that you will be more than just a historical marker like Peleg. The third name is in chapter 2, verse 7, a familiar one to you, the son of Carmi, Achan, the troubler of Israel who broke faith in the matter of the devoted thing. You know the story of Achan. He was a descendant of Judah, the most famous of all tribes of Israel. But he's identified here for the sin that cost him his life. And up until the time that he made that fateful decision to steal at the Battle of Jericho, Achan was from a noble family, had a noble name. He was one of the warriors of Israel. They went into Jericho. They defeated that great city. But he was tempted to steal. And he gave in to that temptation. He went home, and together with his family, they all covered it up. Then he lied about it, publicly lied about it. And as a result, God punished the whole nation. They lost the next battle, Ai, 36 men killed. Joshua was told by God that there was sin in the camp. And as it turned out, it was Achan. He had troubled Israel. And so his family and himself were taken outside the camp and stoned to death. Now, what I learned from Achan is that coming from a good family does not guarantee you success. Each of us is responsible personally for our choices, our actions, our obedience, or our disobedience. I also learned that as a father, I can draw my own family into my sin, and I can bring judgment upon us all. You know, God cares about honesty, cares about disobedience. Achan failed in both of these areas. And so as you read through the history of the Old Testament, Achan's name comes up and God identifies him as the troubler. I would not want to be remembered that way. Hey, before we get to number four, let me stop in chapter two, verse 50. These were the descendants of Caleb, the sons of Hur, the firstborn of Ephrathah, Shobal, the father of Kiriat Jerim. I just bring that up because a few years ago, those of you that have been to Ibex know that as you go out on the back of the Moshav where Ibex is located, if you look off to your right, just a few hundred yards away is this little knob of a hill, and that's Kiriat Jerim. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept for all those years. When David had tried to take it up to Jerusalem and didn't do it the right way, Uzzah was killed when he touched the the uh, ark, um, 
they took it aside and they put it on this little knob of a hill covered with trees. So that's just really cool. But that's not part of my 10. I can't count that. So moving on to number four is chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Jabez was more honorable than his brother. So right in the middle of all these names, the son of, the son of, the son of, he just stops and says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, that it may not bring pain to me. And God granted what he asked. Jabez is remembered in history for his prayer. His prayer of vision. His prayer of courage. Because frankly, he was asking God to give him the freedom and the safety to build a place for his family in the middle of a very hostile land. He was surrounded by Canaanites who wanted to kill him. And yet he found a place that he felt would be perfect for his family, and he just said, Lord, I ask for your safety, and I ask you to enlarge my borders, that is, not only give me the land that I need for my growing family, but also enlarge my influence, that I might make a difference for you. And history goes on to record that this little village that he started, God protected him, and it grew, and it became known as the city of Jabez. And it became the place where people came to study the law of God. Jabez himself became an eminent scribe, one of the most expert men of the law in the Old Testament. What I learned from Jabez is that God honors courage and vision for what God might give you strength to do. When God puts a burden on your heart to attempt something great for him, follow every open door as far as it will go. Because if you don't have the courage to step out in faith, you will never accomplish anything great for God. God wants those who will demonstrate not only vision and courage, but understanding that you must pray and ask for it. And in this case, in Jabez, God answered his prayer. You know, have you ever prayed a remarkable prayer that God answered? Has there ever been a time in your life where something very unusual was going on in your life, maybe, maybe good, maybe bad? And you fell on your knees before the Lord and just pled and pled with him for something. And God dramatically answered it. It's happened a couple times, a few times in my life, and I will never forget those days. There's many times that we pray and God just says, be patient, wait on me. I'm not quite ready to answer that yet. And there are times when you pray and you call out to God and you sometimes humanly wonder if he's hearing. Oh, he's hearing. He's always at work. Sometimes we don't know it. 
But then there's going to be some times in your life, and maybe it's happened already. If not, it will. When you get in that moment where you need him so desperately that you are on your face before him, and you pray for something, and God directly answers your prayer. Nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And I pray that every one of you in here will experience that. Let's go to number 5 in chapter 5. In verse 18 through 20, it says, The Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh had valiant men who carried shield and sword and drew the bow. <coughs> Expert in war, 44,760, able to go to war. And I, and I say to myself already, all right, so what? You know, what, why, why would you stop the genealogies and say this? The war was against the Hagrites, Jatur, Nafish, Nodah, and when they prevailed over them, the Hagrites and all who were with them were given into their hands. Ah, here's the reason this is here. For they cried out to God in the battle. He granted their urgent plea because they trusted in him. When they were in a desperate battle for their very existence, God honors them here in the history book of Israel. By saying, these men, these faithful, valiant soldiers cried out to God for help. They pleaded with God urgently, and they affirmed that they trusted in him. That's the secret to praying. And so what I learned from these men is that when we face difficult odds, when we are at the place where things seem hopeless, when we are surrounded humanly, there's no place to go, there's nothing more that can be done, we simply turn to God and we urgently, fervently cry out to him and watch him work. And that's why we're told in James 5.16 that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Your best prayers are going to be when you're at the bottom, not at the top. And these men trusted God, and he delivered them. If we go down just a few verses, we find that in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 5, it says, These were the heads of their father's houses, Ephur, Ishi, Eliel, Ezreal, Jeconiah, Hodiah, Jadiel, mighty warriors, famous men, heads of their father's houses. Here you go. Here's famous men. They had all the characters that are so highly sought after today in our culture. Fame, wealth, power. They had it all. Isn't that what everybody wants today in our culture? Try to get one of those three things or all three if possible. But look at what happened in verse 26. But they broke faith with the God of their fathers and whored after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, the spirit of Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and he took them into exile. These were famous men, but they broke faith. Now, I've, we've already touched on that phrase. You've heard this phrase already, and you'll hear it again. What is that talking about? 
Do you recognize that our walk with God is a relationship? We are, our, our walk of faith is built on our personal relationship with God. There is a covenant there that God gives to us that believe in his name and we follow him. And those that pretend to follow God, sometimes they break faith. They say they're in the faith, but by their lives and their actions, they break the faith. And that is what these men did. They may have gone along and said, yes, we're religious, we're from Israel, we're from, you know, we're the heads of our father's houses, we're the most famous people in our country. It didn't matter. They broke faith. And God judged them and took them away. True believers don't break faith. But there's many, many who pretend that they're walking by faith, but they're not. And someday they walk away making their own decisions in their own way and they reap the judgment of God, the consequences of their actions. The famous men from Manasseh, they were famous, but they lost it all. Number seven is in chapter six, verse 13. Shalom fathered Hilkiah. Hilkiah fathered Azariah. Now, Hilkiah's name means Jehovah is my portion, and he later, we'll find out, is, was a high priest when Josiah was king. And even though it doesn't say it in this chapter, later in chapter 34, 2 Chronicles, it says this, that while they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law, the law of the Lord given through Moses. Now, at that time, they had not been following the, the book of the law because they didn't have any copies of it. It had been so long since anybody had really followed the word of God of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Nobody was reading it. Well, Hilkiah found a copy. The workman found a copy, gave it to him, and he was so impressed that they had the word of the Lord that he took it right to Josiah, and they began to read it. And they fell on their face in repentance when they realized they were not obeying the law of God. And as a result, a revival broke out in the entire nation. One of the most famous revivals of the Old Testament happened because Hilkiah loved God's word. And that's the lesson that I learned from him myself is that I can never love God's word enough. And I just want to pause here for a moment to share a concern that I have for your generation today. And I pray that most of you in here are not this way, but if you look at, at research, if you look at the studies that come out about what young people your age believe, and I'm talking about uh, surveys that are given to Christian young people all across the nation, what it says is that your generation spends very, very little time in God's Word. You're into Twitter, blogs, Facebook, books, famous men, famous women. And very little time spent in God's Word. They did one study about how, much, how many people, uh, young people spend time every day reading something from God's Word. 
and they went back and compared it to that survey taken, I think it was 25 or 30 years ago, and it was like 60% of young people used to read God's word. It's like 22% now, something like that. And I am afraid that you are missing out on the blessing of having God speak to you through his word. Let me just remind you that God has much more to say to you than any human being. And even though we can learn from Twitter and from Instagram and we can learn from all the different social media connections we have, and we can learn from reading books. I love reading books, so I'm not denigrating that. But I'm just saying, God has far more to say to you than any man, any woman. And you must take time to open up his word and read and read and read. And as you read, the Holy Spirit who dwells within you will teach you, will instruct you, will give you answers, will comfort you, will guide you, will show you his will. And when young people say to me, well, how do I find God's will for my life? I just say, read God's word. Just read. Well, what if I don't find anything? Keep reading. Well, what if I keep reading it? Keep reading. Uh, if you ever heard the, some of the stories of George Mueller, the man who ran orphanages in England many years ago, he would never make a decision until he read God's word to where he felt impressed that God was guiding him in his decision. And he said there were times that he would read the Bible through two and a half times before he would feel confident of what God wanted him to do. Now, I've never done that. That's dedication to God's word. But I am sharing with you that if you will read God's word and make it your heart's desire to know your Savior, he will speak to you. He will teach you and train you from his word better than any man. Just remember, God has much more to say to you than anybody else. So what I learned from Hilkiah, he loved the word of God and he brought a revival to his whole nation. Number eight, down in chapter nine, jump over there with me. There's lots of names, lots of names here. But when we get to chapter 9, verse 20, And Phineas, the son of Eleazar, was the chief officer over them in time past. Uh, boy, that next phrase jumped out and slapped me in the face. It just says this, the Lord was with him. Boom. Just that. Wouldn't you love to have your name written in, old, in a history book of the Master's College? and to have every student's name in there, but when it got to your name, that the Lord stopped and said, the Lord was with her, the Lord was with him. Wouldn't that be remarkable? Well, if you know about Phineas, he had a, a very menial task. He was in charge of the gatekeepers. Whoa, whoa, hang on to that. Elevated position? No. He was in charge of the folks that open and close the doors every day. Huge responsibility. But behind the scenes, he was faithful and he did his job with passion and zeal. 
some of the favorite people I have worked with have not been famous people or rich people. In the schools where I've served, some of my favorite folks are those that clean, those that serve at night. And when I watch them serving and doing menial tasks that nobody else would want to do, and they're enjoying it, they're doing it with all their heart, that's just wonderful. That's Phineas. And he was so passionate that when you read about what happened in Numbers 25, where it talks about there was a man of God who was rebelling, or a man in the in the nation who was rebelling against God, and he was defying God by, in the middle of the open square, committing immorality. That everybody was standing back and watching, but Phineas came forward and put a spear through that guy. And this is what God said about him for doing that. In Numbers 25, the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel and that he was jealous with my jealousy and here that's speaking about a passion for holiness so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy therefore say behold I give to him my covenant of peace it shall be to him and to his descendants after him as a covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and he made atonement for the people of Israel if you follow the rest of his life, you'll find that he was used to, at one time, lead the army into battle because he represented the faith that they had in God. And what I learned from him is that you do not have to have a famous job. You do not have to be in a notable position of leadership to accomplish much for the Lord, no matter how small your task, no matter if anybody is noticing or not. God notices, and if you will do what he gives you to do with passion and with zeal, then at the right time and the right moment, God will use you in a remarkable way. And I will admit to you that this passage right here, this illustration, is the reason I chose this for chapel this morning. Because I want to convince all of you that you can be used by God. Your life can make a difference. You can make a difference if you are obedient and follow God faithfully. Be zealous with what he gives you today. Whether or not it's in a high position or a low position, whether anybody knows it or not, do your job that he's given you with all your heart and let him lead you. Let him elevate you when it's the right time. Most of us in this room will just be asked to do small things for God. In this college, even though my job title seems important, it's not. I'm just the behind-the-scenes paper shuffler. It's the faculty that have the remarkable jobs of investing in your lives. And while they get to do that day in and day out, I'm messing with budgets and I'm figuring out who's supposed to be here and who's supposed to be there. 
very menial tasks much of my day. Most of us in this room will be given perhaps minor jobs like this to do. Doesn't matter. Do it with zeal. Do it with passion. Give it your best. And be amazed at what God will do. Well, let me just close with two very familiar men. If you turn to chapter 10, you know the story of King Saul. When he was the first king of Israel chosen, it says he was the most handsome, he was the tallest, he was the logical leader. And the people made him king. Look at what it says in chapter 10, verse 13. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord and that he did not keep the command of the Lord. Also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. How horrible to have your name here in the history book of Israel. And it says that God killed me because I wasn't faithful. But contrast that, chapter 11, with David, the greatest king of Israel, through his lineage would come the Messiah. God's covenant with him was an eternal covenant. And why? Verse 9, David became greater and greater for the Lord of hosts was with him. So what's the driving force in your life? Why are you here? You want your life to make a difference? Or are you in this for yourself? Do you have grand plans of what you're going to do with your life? Or do you recognize that only a life totally surrendered to God can make a difference? Will you be like Nimrod, who lived his life in full view of God every day, but did not accomplish anything for God? Will you be like Peleg, who lived a full life, but he's only remembered in history as a marker of some national event that happened? Will you be like Achan, that comes from a very well-known family, an honored family, but lost his life? because of his own sin and greed and deceit? Will you be like those men of Manasseh who were rich and famous, and yet they broke faith, were taken into exile? Will you be like Saul, who was given the grand opportunity to be king of Israel, and he blew it, and God killed him? Or will you be like Jabez, who had faith and vision that led to blessing? Will you be like those valiant warriors who cried out to God in the battle and God answered their prayer because he knew they trusted in him? Will you be like Hilkiah, who loved and honored God's word so much a revival came to the entire nation? Will you be like Phineas, who served the Lord in a lowly position behind the scenes, but he did so with passion and with zeal? so that at the right moment and the right time in history, God used him. Will you be like David, the greatest king in the history of Israel, 
because God was with him. You know, if all of us lived in these early days of Israel and our names were in the book of Chronicles, um, there are time, I wonder what they would say about me. Do you wonder what they would say about you? Before we started, these pictures of our faculty that we saw when they were children. Uh, children are brimming with promise, with hope, with expectation. And look at how God is using our faculty to touch your lives. So this morning, if you're here, and unlike me who had a dad who pounded into my life, that your life can make a difference if you'll just be faithful. Your life can make a difference if you will be faithful. I plead with you today. Your life can make a huge difference for God if you will be faithful and obey and love and honor his word and grow each and every day. Most important lesson in my life that my dad shared with me and I share it with you now. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word which transforms our life. Lord, may we never get tired of reading your word and allowing you to speak to us. And although there are many wonderful sources out there and resources that can strengthen our spiritual walk with Christ, nothing can take the place of your word. And even as we make our way through sometimes genealogies that appear to many to be boring and inconsequential, uh, we pause and, and just see that you stop from moment to moment and you made a comment for good or for bad. May this challenge each of us here this morning to make our lives count so that when we stand before you and give account of our lives, that it will be for good and not for bad. We ask for your blessing on these young people. May you honor them. May you work in their lives. May you teach them. May they grow. May they develop. May they handle success and failure in a way that would honor you. And Lord, make a difference in their lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.